So Lord Jesus, we ask that you who are king of all would hear and grant our request that we would see what is possible because of who you are, not based on what we think is possible, but based on what you call us to do and be in this world, we ask in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege to go to a conference in New York City called Movement Day. What we heard at that experience was something like what's going on in the city of Bellevue. We see the Spirit of God moving to unite churches, to serve our schools, to worship together at worship in the park. And this same thing is happening in Dallas and Denver and Portland and Paris and in cities all over Brazil, around the world. Christians are joining together to serve their cities. There's a blurring between the sacred and the secular, which is what our sermon series is about, thriving in exile. When I was in New York, I got to take a couple of taxis, and it felt like an international tour. As I hopped in the taxi, each driver had maybe a different color of skin, a different accent, and I began to just be curious, you know, where are you from? And each one seemed to have a story kind of speaking passionately about their homeland, about the people that they left behind, and many times about the people who are suffering whom they love. Even if they'd been here a few decades, they still had a connection to their home. So it is with Nehemiah. Though he personally is thriving in exile, when he hears about the rubble that Jerusalem has become, it breaks his heart. So what does one do with a broken heart? The old song says, take it to the Lord in prayer. And in his prayer, Nehemiah confesses. He repents and he's fasting, seeking change. What can he do to change things? As he prays and fasts, God gives him an idea, not like a specific instruction like go build an ark, but more of an idea. And it had to do with something about his work. It was one of those nudges. Have you ever kind of had one of those that was a little bit unwelcome? You see, he was cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer is someone who tastes the wine, not just to see if it was a good year, but to see if it was safe to drink. He's a human poison detector. Nehemiah faced the possibility of death by poisoning day after day. And with each passing day, the king trusted him more. A speaker at Movement Day said, you will move toward revival at the speed of trust. One day when Nehemiah went before the king, he chose not to put on his happy kingdom face. And Nehemiah becomes free to be authentic, to break through that sacred secular divide. The private Nehemiah, man of faith and prayer, takes his Sunday self to work. Eugene Peterson, in the book The Message, introduces the book of Nehemiah this way. Separating life into distinct categories of sacred and secular damages any attempt to live a whole and satisfying life, a coherent life with meaning and purpose. The Holy Scriptures from beginning to end strenuously resist such a separation. 
Nehemiah lets his sadness show. And the king notices. I don't think every boss would. The king asks, why the sad face when you're not sick? Nehemiah reflects on that moment. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. I guess this is the way you speak to kings. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king replies, it's like the king wants to help. He's totally reeled in. What is it you want? I mean, what an amazing moment. God had Nehemiah exactly where he wanted him. He, like Esther, who we studied last week, seems to have been ordained for such a moment as this one right here. This is his sphere of influence increasing right in that moment. Andy Crouch, author and culture maker, invites us to consider who benefits because you have power. True power contributes to flourishing because it creates more power. Who flourishes because of the sphere of influence that you are in? Whether you're an at-home mom who goes on Facebook once in a while or a computer programmer, you are creating culture. You have a sphere of influence. You have a good endeavor. That's the title of a book by Timothy Keller called Every Good Endeavor. And I can't say enough about how great this book is in describing the way that faith is not meant for Sundays only. Sundays are great. We come together. We sing amazing songs of prayer and praise. We're lifted up to see beyond ourselves. Why? So that we could go out there in the world and be God's people, be exiles. We belong to a kingdom that's not of this world. We're exiles. We're exiles with a purpose. So this is the moment for Nehemiah, this tipping point moment. He takes a deep breath. He says a quick prayer, and then there's no going back. With a wild hope, he throws out a request like a Hail Mary pass, if it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, then let him send me to the city of Judah so that I can rebuild it. In that instant, the sacred and secular merge, and we get a picture of God's intention for human flourishing. What a coherent life might look like. Recently, I had my sad face on at work, and my colleague, Nancy Eastham, Nancy and Lauren, come on up. We've got microphones for both of you. I know it's not their favorite thing, but they're going to share with us this morning. Nancy, this one's for you. And Lauren, this one's for you. I want to pull that out of there. So I had my sad face on, and Nancy, being such a gracious person, sort of said, hey, I have an encouraging story for you. So Nancy's an executive assistant. She's been a deacon. She has two grown children. She's managed a wide sphere of influence, including being the unexpected owner of a business when her husband died. And Lauren is a center house associate. She lives in community in the center house. She oversees the Renew Girls Home a couple of days a week, and she also leads in our high school ministry. She just got back uh, this weekend. It's actually still going on. A high school retreat with 60 Bell Press high school students are studying freedom in Christ. So we're so glad that Lauren and Nancy could be here this morning, and they're going to tell a little bit about the story that encouraged me. It's about women's mentoring. Well, our group meets one evening a week, and... In the major portion of our meeting, we break into smaller groups, 
and our pastoral leader, Annie Duncan, gives us each a card with a number of questions on it, all variety of subjects, and each person can choose a question or questions that she wants to answer. It's really just what you can relate to. And so this, on this particular evening, we came around and, and we looked at Lauren and wondered if there was a question that she wanted to talk about. And after reading all those questions, I looked at one in particular that was about when you've changed your perspective and had a positive outcome. And I said immediately, well, I'm not answering that one. Um, I had just had the worst day ever. Uh, in the Renew Homes, we have hopes and dreams for some of our students. And when that doesn't happen sometimes, it can be extremely heartbreaking. Um, and it was one of those days for me. And so I think we were all amazed that she even came that night. And we told her that and told her how, how happy that we were that she wanted to be with us and just that it meant so much that she was there. And I remember saying, it would have been very easy for you to just crawl into bed and pull the covers over your head after a day like that. And I responded, I absolutely thought about it. <laughs> um, but after thinking through what my day was going to look like, I figured there was no better place I could be. Um, this group is a place where uh, I feel heard, even as a young adult, um, by these women. And the majority of the time, we laugh. It's awesome. So what is it that gets you laughing when we hear about these dramatic days? Was it something like, what would you think you could, couldn't do until you had to do it? Something like that? Yeah, well, that was a question that definitely jumped out at me. And uh, because of my loss, what came to mind for me was I didn't know I could be the, quote, man of the house until I had to be the man of the house. And so it started out, it wasn't all that funny. I was actually a little emotional, and I was talking about the anger that I felt at first having this new job description that I did not ask for and all the frustrations and confusion that went along with that. But then I went on to talk about how I kind of come to embrace it. And in fact, I have this new love of power tools and I love my electric <laughs> screwdriver, my leaf floor, but especially my chainsaw. And had, giving this vision of me after a big storm, going out with my goggles and my big back brace belt and going after those giant branches that have fallen. And all of a sudden we were all sort of dissolved in laughter and these girls were just hooting and cheering and they were just so incredibly encouraging. <laughs> Nancy is awesome, as are the other women in the group. Um, there have been some women who have been vulnerable and shared stories uh, about their children, and I've been able to look at my relationship with my parents in a new way um, because of that, and it's given me a, a new perspective, and it's been incredibly encouraging. I don't think I really knew what to expect when I went into this group, um, but it's definitely been a gift. And I think God's biggest surprise is that I have really been mentored too. Yes, the older are definitely speaking life into the younger, but the younger are definitely speaking life into the older in equal parts. And I think that um, Annie has set up a wonderful context in which we can have these kind of conversations. I am so inspired by Lauren's character and her faith, and the same with all these other young ladies. And I think when you have this kind of a context and you have the chance to build this kind of trust and then you have this giant dose of laughter and fun that we have, um, wonderful things can happen. And I think I speak for so many that it's definitely a highlight of our week. Sounds a lot like revival, doesn't it? We're so glad that you could be with us. Thank you for bringing your real self to work and your work self to Jesus. Let's give them a round of applause.
So honest question builds relationship and trust. The king had three questions for Nehemiah, and his final question, a question sort of of affection is, well, when will you be back? And Nehemiah responds by asking for safe passage to return home. He receives not only a passport, but a royal escort, an army to take him there, royal resources to rebuild with, lumber from the king's own forest to rebuild the walls and gates in Jerusalem. God does more than he could have ever asked or imagined and abundantly blesses him. He gives Nehemiah a mantle of leadership, inspiring hundreds of people to devote themselves to getting that wall and those gates back up, protecting the temple and blessing the city. The lists of names of people who came to help are pages long in the scripture. They came from all walks of life. There were priests and artists and business people and parents and soldiers. And together, they finished in miraculous time, 52 days. It was like Bellevue service day for about two months. And from this, we learn that God is honored when you do your part, not all the parts, just your part. Reviewing my sermon this weekend, this section reminded me of Pastor Dick Leon. As with Nehemiah, under Dick's leadership, a lot got built. He boldly envisioned the name of Jesus being lifted up as the city of Bellevue grew. Bellevue Presbyterian would go from being a small A-frame church that faced 100th to a big church that, at least the parking lot, faces Bellevue Way. There would be a community center for worship and recreation. There would be a heart to serve the world, to make a difference in far-off lands and shape culture. His vision was expansive and his depth of faith captivating. He called people by name to be part of it. I was one of those people. I was in my 20s when I first met Dick Leon. He was the senior pastor at First Press Spokane, and my husband and I became involved in youth ministry there. And Dick was the one who said to me, you're called to ministry. It doesn't matter that you're a woman. Go for it. I'd never seen a woman in leadership. And Dick was one of the people who said, it's possible. And I know he did that for many, many people, including folks who said Jesus couldn't be real. Dick was one of those people who hung in there not just arguing for the faith, but representing Jesus in such a way that folks came to believe that it's true. We're sitting in this very building because with Dick's deep faith and dedicated leadership, people who had dismissed God were drawn to Jesus and saw that with God, all things are possible. Like Nehemiah, Dick built more than a physical place to meet God. He built faith in Jesus. When the wall in Jerusalem was rebuilt in 52 days, God's name was lifted up. Nehemiah reports, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Please pray with me. Mighty God, we ask that you would do a good work in us and through us. We ask that your name would be lifted up in our lives absolutely on Sundays, but on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to do in us and through us what we could never do for ourselves. 
would you please do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, and may you have all the glory in your church and for all generations. We ask in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.